Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a podcast series that proves that truth can be stranger than fiction. In this week's episode, entitled Movers Lament, finding ourselves short on cash, my girlfriend and I decide to start a moving business. But we're not prepared for the unique experiences headed our way when we start entering other people's homes. Movers Lament Warning, this episode contains graphic language and sexual content that may not be appropriate for children or other listeners. Making a living as an artist is a tough road to hoe, even in the best of times. And these are not the best of times. Jenny and I are lovers and artists living in Boston. We can barely make rent. Something has to be done, so Jenny and I decide to go into the moving business. I have an old blue Dodge cargo van that I use for my sculpture work. It's a little rusty and riddled with dents, but on the upside, it has an extra-long cargo bay. We decide to call ourselves Prime Movers, and voila, we're in business. The Aristotelian reference in our name is lost on just about everyone. Our advertisements are little Xeroxes with tear-off phone numbers that we pin up on laundromat bulletin boards. Charging only $25 an hour for two movers in a van, we get lots of calls. At this moment, we're waiting outside of the apartment of our first customers, a third-floor walk-up on Beacon Street. When they open the door and behold a skinny hippie and a woman, their disappointment is palpable. It's touch and go for a minute, but they have to move today, so they begrudgingly show us around all their stuff. Knowing what they think of us, we work incredibly hard and carefully. Eight hours later, with everything delivered in perfect order, they pay us in cash and seem incredulous that we actually pulled it off. They even give us a sizable tip. Each move thereafter is a duplicate of our first, beginning with the prospective client's extreme disappointment that the custodians of all their earthly possessions are a skinny guy and a woman, which means that we have to work incredibly hard to prove them wrong. After a day where we make two different moves, Jen and I go to see a French film that's all a rage, Claude Lelouch's wonderful romantic comedy, Un homme, une femme, which translates to a man and a woman. As we leave the film in Cambridge, Jen has a brilliant idea. We drop the name Prime Movers and call ourselves a man and a woman movers. So now prospective clients know exactly what they're getting and we can dispense with all the uncertainty and anxiety when they first open the door. After replacing all of our laundromat pinups with ones that bear our new name, the phone falls completely silent, not a single call, day after day. And this is the height of the feminist movement. So sadly, we're back once more at the laundromats, putting up the prime mover pinups again. When your client base comes from bulletin boards, you're bound to have some surprising experiences. For example, we're on a fifth-floor walk-up job, and the client, when they first called, asked if we moved pets. My response, no elephants. What I should have asked if I wasn't clowning around was, what kind of pets and how many? When he opens the apartment door, two cats dart out into the hallway, along with an exceptionally strong smell of cat litter. I say sternly, you should have told me you had cats. He responds with a smile. I asked, and you said no elephants. Ah, you got me there, I reply, 
and so begins one of our most memorable moving episodes. He, in fact, has 11 cats. We move the furniture in boxes first, but the cats keep escaping every time we open the apartment door. Then it's time to move the cats. You've heard the phrase, like herding cats, right? It seems like every time we crack the van door to put one in, two pop out. And they don't just pop out. One immediately climbs a tree, and another darts across the street, accompanied by the sounds of screeching brakes. It takes all three of us, along with the help of a couple of cat-loving passerbys, to get the 11 cats in the truck. We usually don't stop for drinks after work, but tonight we make an exception. After buying a supply of Band-Aids and disinfectants, we bandage our heavily scratched forearm between shots of Jameson's. And before each, we make a nasty toast to the feline species. Today we have a different problem, porters. If you haven't read the story of the infamous Collier brothers, you should. Homer and Langley Collier were Columbia University graduates who lived in a five-story brownstone in Harlem, not too far off campus. Over the years, they secluded themselves more and more and began to hoard. The entire building became a rat's nest of musical instruments, wooden crates, lamp poles, and other debris, along with thousands of books. When Homer went blind, Langley subscribed to every available magazine and newspaper so his brother could catch up on his reading when his vision returned. As the hoarding continued, their hallways turned into tunnels and the rooms became smaller and smaller. Langley also built man traps to ensnare would-be intruders. Sadly, one day he was caught in one of his own traps and over the next 10 days, Langley starved to death, as did his brother, who now had no one to feed him. The Collier brothers became a sensation in the press, and across-the-country publications featured lurid photos taken of the interior of their building. Today's clients, in their original phone call, told us that their two-bedroom apartment was fairly crowded with stuff. When the door opens, we see this is an incredible understatement. To enter, you have to duck under some overhead shelves and platforms that run across each hallway, creating tunnels and tiny rooms just like the Collier's. The worst part of it is that while they promise to be packed and ready by the time of our arrival, they're just beginning to painstakingly inspect and sort their belongings as we come in. Piles of junk mail to sort, jars of old ballpoint pens to test. They're even opening up cans of dried up paint to see if there's any liquid left inside. This is all just too much for us, so we decide to bail. They don't even seem to notice as we apologize and duck out the door. To this day, the New York City Fire Department has a radio code to describe a fire in a hoarder's building. The radio operator warns the fireman, it's a collier. Today we screw up big time. It's a fourth floor job, and the very first piece of furniture we pick up, an antique Versailles type table, cracks right in half. We're both horrified and apologize profusely which does little to quiet the irate man of the house. I'm so sorry, I say. What if we don't charge for the move and pay for any repair? Jen gives me a look because she knows how much such a repair might cost. And our DIY moving company, of course, doesn't have any kind of insurance. He quiets down and agrees to our terms. Then I notice that both edges of the cracked section of the table show traces of dried glue, which means that it's been broken before. Next, 
I feel the broken edges, and the glue in the middle of each is still wet, meaning that it was glued back together very recently, probably not long before our arrival. I whisper to Jen, Come on, we're getting out of here. We turn our backs to them and simply walk out without saying a word. As we do, the couple starts to argue. My guess is that putting one over on us was his idea, and she was opposed to the plan. That was the first and last time anyone tried to con us. There's lots of different ways to screw up as a mover. Today we're moving a rollaway bed slash couch down from a fourth floor, and it's a beast even without the mattress. As we make the corner on the third floor landing, we hear sirens outside the downstairs front door, just as the downward corner of the couch slips from my hand and the rollaway becomes wedged between two walls. While we struggle unsuccessfully to free the couch, a full team of paramedics and cops comes hurrying up the stairs. Get out of the way! Someone's had a heart attack on the top floor. All four men then start angrily shoving at the couch, which doesn't budge. Then they have to clamber over the couch with their stretcher, only to come back and do it again a few minutes later as they're carrying someone in critical condition. The lead cop calls out to me, You're an idiot to expect your wife to help move a couch. Jen whispers back, I beg to differ, sir, but they're gone. At which point we start to laugh uncontrollably, a scene straight out of M.A.S.H. It's another lovely day, but we can't find parking in front of a fifth-floor walk-up job where we have an appointment. So Jen stays in the van, and I climb the stairs and knock at the door right on time. When the door opens, I'm blown backwards, gagging, overpowered by the smell of dog shit. I can see piles of shit everywhere on the wooden floorboards inside and a large German shepherd pacing around. I tell the owner, Sorry, man, I just can't do this. He's incredulous and raises his voice. But I have an appointment. You're right, man. You do have an appointment, but obviously you have a real problem as well, as I gesture to all the dog shit and start to hurry down the stairs. Then he tells me to fuck myself and uses his bare hands to flake dog shit at me as I descend. Luckily, he's not a very good shot. Damn, I say to myself, we've got to get another job. When I recount my experience to Jen, she agrees, starts laughing, and responds, no shit. Through pure serendipity, a letter arrives when we get home, and I've received a sizable public art commission. So we cancel all our moving jobs and immediately quit the moving business. The only real blessing to come from the job is that we're now both in the best physical shape of our lives. Lessons learned from our year of moving. Number one, don't become a mover. Number two, if you do, don't advertise on laundromat bulletin boards. Number three, only accept customers that have moved in the last year or two. Number four, remember that people are at their worst when they move, anxious and insecure because they're homeless, even if only for a couple hours. And number five, be thankful you're not homeless. The characters and events portrayed in this podcast are based on my truth with some names and facts changed for privacy. All conversations and dialogues are based on my best memory, but are not word-for-word recreations. Mm-hmm.
The Compulsive Storyteller is written and narrated by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kakoma, who's also made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And also, if you could leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram, at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story. Thank you.